The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. Thank you. May be seated. And so here's the story. We looked at it. It's pretty self-explanatory. By the way, this isn't a parable. This is an allegorical. This is literal. This actually happened. There was a man and his wife. And uh, it's interesting because as you look at the Word of God, there's no place in the Word of God whatever talks about the amount of money because it's not about the amount of money. It doesn't talk about how much they sold the land for. It doesn't ever tell us how much it was. As a matter of fact, when Peter questions her and asks her, he says, did you sell it for so much? And she said, yay, so much. So it doesn't even tell us how much or what he said. Uh, When he said it, it keeps back the specifics. You notice how the Holy Spirit does that here. He doesn't give us the specific detail of the conversation, even though a conversation did take place. He gives us an overview of that conversation and the details that matter here. And that when he's talking to us, he's, he's showing us here in the Word of God what happened in this church that caused an injury, if you would, to the body of Christ. It caused a problem. And by the way, uh, this really this problem that we see is a sin problem. And uh, we see it creeping up, and we're going to discuss just for a minute what that sin was. But here in this passage of Scripture, if you follow along in the handout, we see in verses 1 and 2 a sinful defect. A sinful defect. And there was a defect here in the church. And by the way, let me say this. If you're looking for a perfect church, the very first church was defective. The very first church at the very... listen. Three chapters from chapter 2, when thousands of people got saved and baptized, we see sin in the church. Three chapters in. And so there's no perfect church. The early church wasn't perfect. There's not a church, listen, that's sinlessly perfect. We understand that there's going to be sin that has to be dealt with in the church. And that's what God's trying to teach us early on and how we're to deal with it and how we're to respond when confronted uh, with our sin. And here, uh, we're seeing this early in the church. And by the way, can we just be honest this morning? All of us, at some place, point in our lives today, have something that needs to be dealt with in our lives. You with me? I, I mean, it, where, the Bible says, Therefore, him that knoweth to do good and doeth not to him it's sin. The Bible says, Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. There's things that we do that people... Come on, we all have something in our hearts or things in our hearts, perhaps, that that people don't know about. And we see this Christian couple, Ananias and Sapphira, that appeared to be on the level of the rest of the people in church spiritually. And that's why we don't judge people's works, because you don't know. You don't know. Listen, even if it appears that someone's all on board, listen, what a notion that a a couple would make. They say, we've got this parcel of land. We've got this property, and we're going to sell it, and we're going to give all the money to the church. We're going to give every bit of the sale of this money to the church. And we're going to do that because we believe that's what the Lord wants us to do. Now, is, what, is that what the Lord wanted them to do? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us that's what the Lord wanted them to do. But it does show us this sin defect and its deceit. They were being deceitful in their heart. They were lying. The Bible says in verses 1 and 2, they had lied to the Holy Spirit. In other words, they, they really uh, allowed deceitfulness in their heart to... Uh, just play a role here in this early church and cause some problems. Let me tell you, number one, deceit fools us first. Deceit fools us first. Don't we deceive ourselves before we deceive anybody else? You believe your own lies before you try to get somebody else to believe them because you have to in order to be convincing when you tell the lie. 
And a lot of times what we do is we deceive our own selves. The Bible even talks about that in the book of James, that if any man hear the word and not do it, he's deceiving his own self. He's deceiving himself. The Bible says when we look at the mirror of the word of God and we, it reveals who we are and we try to tell ourselves that we're something different than what the Bible tells us, what we're trying to do is deceive ourselves so we don't have to deal with what the Bible's confronting us with. Doesn't God confront you with things in your life? If you have the Holy Spirit of God, what does he do? When you read the Word of God, what does he do? He shows you what you are. He shows you who you are. I mean, that's how it works with me. I know it's got to work the same way with you. It's what the Bible says. When I read the Bible, I go, boy, I'm just not good. I mean, I'm, I need to change in this area. There's some things. And I see the nature of God, don't you? Isn't he good? Isn't he wonderful? God is awesome. He's wonderful. But when I, see the, when I look at myself... In reflection of how great God is, I understand I fall short of His glory. I mean, He's awesome, and I'm not. And I'm sinful at best. And uh, we try to, listen, this is what happens when we do church, and we come in, and we try to get with the congregation of people, and we try to impress people with our works. These people were doing something as eye service as men pleasers. That's what they were doing. They were hoping that by some means of giving or a gift that they were going to bring themselves higher in the church. Or they were going to do, there was some kind of deceitfulness in their heart about what they were trying to accomplish with this gift. And uh, they, they thought they could fool others because deceit fools us first. And number two, deceit thinks it fools God second. I mean, we think that we got God fooled. You ever get down on your knees to pray and you don't confess what you know you should? And sometimes it's almost like we're like Adam in the garden trying to hide like God doesn't know us already. Listen, when you pray to God, understand that He transparently sees your thoughts, your motives, your intents, and you can't hide from God. You can't pretend like something that He knows is there isn't there, because it is there. And if God wants to deal with it in your life, you've got to allow that confrontation of the Holy Spirit to happen. And by the way, we understand this process has happened is, is that they, they somewhere along the way decided that it was better for them to keep a part of the property or to keep a part of the, the sale of the property for themselves. Now, I don't know what came up. I don't know whether the electric bill was really high that month or, 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 whether, you know, or whether something came into, you know, and they just thought, you know, boy, we, we better hold on to some of this money. Because, but they displayed a lack of faith, and they also displayed a really a lack of honesty. There was a deceitfulness in their heart. They were saying, we're going to keep this for ourselves. But here's what happened. They didn't go to the church then and say, listen, we understand that we, we said we were going to do this. Something came up. We're going to have to, you know, just do this instead. Instead, they wanted everybody to believe that they were giving all of it. They wanted everyone to believe that they were keeping their word. They wanted themselves to look better than what they were. None of us ever have that problem, do we? Wanting to make ourselves look better than what we are. We all have that problem. It's a constant battle, isn't it? Because all of us have the temptation to draw the pull, self-included, to try to make myself, try to make yourself look better than what we actually are. Don't you have to fight the flesh that way? Because your flesh thinks it's standing. It thinks it's able. It thinks it can. It, it's, I mean, it's really battling, warring against the Spirit of God in your life that's saying, no, let me have my way. And your flesh is saying, no, I want my way. And God's saying, the faith life is what pleases me. And I said, well, I have a hard time with the faith life because I can't see it. 
I don't understand it. It doesn't always play out the way that I think that it should. And so there's this pull, there's this draw to make ourselves look better than what we really are. Listen, that doesn't belong in the house of God. In other words, we shouldn't come to God's house and say, I want to look better than what I really am. I'm not talking about your clothes this morning. Your clothes is a moot point. It doesn't even matter. Listen, whatever you got on, you got on. I'm not talking about your clothing. What I'm talking about this morning is what your heart is clothed in. The Bible says that our hearts as Christians are to be clothed in humility. In other words, as Christians, we're to come and understand that we're undeserved. That, listen, did you hear the, I I love that second verse, that song that she sang, that God, I I don't know why you use me. I don't feel like I'm deserved. I don't, I don't understand, you know, I know what I am, and, and, and God, I, and, and boy, boy, I just prayed those words before I came out. God, I, I'm not worthy to be used, but I'm glad that you're allowing me to be used. And God, I know that I'm broken, but I'm glad that your grace is able to pick me up. I'm, I'm glad that a just man can fall seven times, the Bible says, and rise up again. That we're able, he's able to keep us from falling. Are you with me today? Because without Christ, I'd fall into the abyss. Without Christ, I'd fall into despair. Without Christ, I'd fall into depression this morning. I'd fall into all the devices of myself without the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's able to keep me from falling, but I'm always trying to fall. I mean, my flesh works full time. I don't know about yours in, in trying to go against what God's trying to do. And, and deceit fools us first, and deceit thinks it fools God second. Don't think you can fool God. In the very beginning, the first sin, what did they do? They tried to hide from God. They tried to make themselves look better than what they were. Remember, they put those fig leaves on. They tried to cover themselves. Oh, we're, we're ashamed. We feel guilt. And their natural knee-jerk response was cover up. By the way, that's your knee-jerk response too. And here you are this morning in church, and all of us are doing some kind of cover-up. We're covering up the areas of our lives, perhaps that we haven't surrendered to God, or areas where we're not displaying faith, or perhaps areas where we have sin in our lives, or we're being deceitful. We're deceiving ourselves, and we're covering ourselves up thinking, and and by the way, this is the truth, is a lot of times people come into church and don't expect the pastor to talk about that kind of stuff. Let's just talk about other things. And uh, I was sitting and talking to a young lady, college age uh, young lady yesterday, and uh, she was just asking some questions, and, and, and she, said, she said, you know, she said, I've gone to church my whole life, and they just, she said, I, 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 they don't really read the Bible that much at the church I go to. And she said, he talks a lot, and there's a book that he reads out of, and there's nothing that really tells me how I'm supposed to live my life. And I know there's got to be more to it than that. You know what that is? That's the, that's the language, the heart expression of someone who's seeking for something more than what she knows. Because there has to be more. You know what I told her? There is more. Get a Bible. Start reading it. There's a lot more. Does, don't we know as Christians, come on, are you with me? God has answers for real life situations and circumstances. God meets us where we are. You know what God wants to do today? Right where you are, he wants to meet you where you are. He's not saying to you, come to where I am, because if you're not saved, if you never trusted Christ as your Savior, you really can't. He wants to come to where you are, and he wants to meet you right where you are. In other words, let me say this. You don't have to do anything to be any better. You're not trying to better yourself. You're not trying... Listen, I understand it starts with that, but he's going to meet you right where you are. But here's the joy of the Christian life. He is not going to leave you where you are. When he found the disciples, where did he find them? Right where they were. 
right where they were. He went to where they were. Matthew was sitting at that seat of the tax collector. Jesus went to him. The fishermen, Peter, James, and John, they're, they're sitting there. They're, they're fishing. He says, leave your nets. Follow me. He went to where those guys were. He met the, the woman at the well. He went to where he knew she would be. He knew in advance where she was coming. The maniac of Gadara, boy, he needed a lot of help, didn't he? Legion of devils in him, uh, cutting themselves. What did Jesus do? He crossed the, crossed the river, went to where he was. He found right where he was, and he went to him. Zacchaeus, where was he? He's up in the tree trying to see Jesus. But Jesus didn't call him down from the tree. He went to him, to the tree, right where he was, and says, Hey, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. I'm going to go to where you are. And that's what Jesus does. Get this this morning. Jesus wants to come right to where you are, and then he wants to say this to you. Follow me. Follow me. Listen, where you are is not where you want to stay. You with me this morning? Where you are is not where you want to stay. You know what your flesh is going to say? I'm comfortable here. I want to stay here. I don't want to do anything more. I don't want to know anything more because I'm, are you with me? I'm responsible for what I know. I can't unknow what I know. When God teaches me a truth, I'm responsible for it. And listen, Jesus is saying, I know where you are. I'm coming to where you are, but I want you to follow me. I want to take you to a different place. I want you to know me. I want you to, I want you to understand that I've got a better plan, a better way for your life than what you could even imagine for yourself. But deceit keeps us from that. Deceit fools us first. It thinks it fools God second. Number three, deceit tried to, tries to fool others third. It tries to fool others third. Ananias and Sapphira, what they do? Well, they fooled themselves. Then they thought they fooled God. And then they tried to fool everybody else. It's a process that takes in all of our lives deceit. Deceitfulness in your heart is going to do that. It's going to have that process where you're going to feel the need to perform. Come on. The, the feeling the need to perform when it comes to other Christians is deceitfulness in your own heart. It's saying that I've got to perform to be accepted in this group. What Ananias and Sapphira needed to know is that Jesus had accepted them where they were. They didn't need to give that parcel of land, that parcel of property, to gain any more acceptance with God or God's church. You don't need to do anything to gain acceptance with God. Get this. What causes us to have a heart to give? Love. Were they giving out of love? No. They were giving out of performance. They were trying to make themselves look better. Deceit was having its way. And so there was a sinful defect in verses 1 and 2. Number 2... We not only see a sinful defect, but we see a sudden death. A sudden death. Verse number 3, Ananias, uh, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? And he deals with them. Doesn't he tell, he says, wasn't the land your own? Wasn't it your land? I mean, he's dealing with these things. He says, and after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? He said, wasn't the money after it was sold, wasn't it in your power, wasn't it yours? Nobody told you you had to do this. Nobody required this of you. This was not something where we said, unless you're not right with God unless you do this. No, that never happened. They came, they, de- they deceitfully worked this thing out. The Bible says they even among themselves, husband and wife, they conspired. She knew what was going on, and he knew what was going on. They were both lying to the Holy Spirit. They were lying to, listen, what was the Holy Spirit saying to them? You're lying. 
What were they saying? No, we're not. But he knew they were. And he was revealing that to them. And they were refusing to be confronted with it. They were refusing to deal with the sin. Let me say this first. Sin confronted should be repented. Sin confronted should be repented. Let Let me just talk about this just for a second, because confrontation is a funny thing, isn't it? Nobody likes it. I don't like it. You don't like it. Nobody likes to be confronted. That's why, listen, when families do this whole thing, they have like a, uh, what do they call that, like an intervention? What do they usually do? They like, they ask the person to come to a place. They're not really telling them what's actually going on, and then everybody sits around and tells them what they did, right? They're trying to set up a, it's really like, it's, it's really, it's, it's a tough thing to deal with. And God, let me say this, God doesn't sneak up on you. He meets you face to face. He's not trying to trick you into repentance. He's not trying to, you know, say, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to get you. No, no. He's not trying to trick you. He's trying to confront you. When you sin, when I sin, you know what we want as a Christian? A godly father, a loving father, the Bible says, whom he loves, he chastens, he confronts. He, d- he doesn't let things go. Why? Because letting sin go in your life destroys you. And God won't do that because he loves you. In other words, sin has a destructive end, doesn't it? The Bible teaches us that. God doesn't want you to be destroyed. God has a better, a perfect will and way for your life. And God, when you have sin in your heart, listen, sin in your heart, you know what a lot of times we expect to be confronted with? We expect to be confronted with sin that, that people find out about. Sin that people know about. You know, they hear about it. They saw us do it. It's a physical outside action that people begin to talk and hear about. And you know what a lot of people do? They're all for confronting that guy because people know about it. But here's the hypocritical thing that people in church do. Confront that guy. Don't confront me. Confrontation, the Holy Spirit confronts us. In Matthew 18, Jesus reveals to us how God deals with us. He first comes to us. The Holy Spirit comes to us and says, you sinned. Ever happened to you, Christian? Has it ever happened? I hope it has. He says, you did wrong. Listen to me. I don't care, young or old, teenager, college-age students, however old you are. Listen, if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you and you do wrong and you don't have any feeling, you don't have any response, there's no confrontation about it, there's no guilt, there's no fear, there's nothing, I start to question whether the Holy Spirit lived here. Because if he's here, he's going to confront sin. And if he's not here, he's not going to confront it. And that doesn't mean that you're, you're, you're kicking against it, you're resisting it. You're, you're trying, trying to say no to it. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about there's just nothing. There's no feeling of remorse whatsoever when you do wrong. There's no feeling of sorrow. There's nothing that comes and confronts you with you did wrong. Listen, what do you do? I've tried to teach my kids this very young. My, my son came to me one time, and he was talking to me about some things. And he said, God's, God showed me that I did this. Now, he's only little. And I said, if God showed you that, you need to respond to him. You remember Samuel? God was speaking to him. And then the man of God taught him to respond. When God calls, you listen, you answer. You know what happens after a period of time when you don't answer God? You learn to tune him out. And you, you sear your conscience. You, you grieve the Holy Spirit of God. You keep him at arm's length, and you stop him working. Guess what you do? You, you seal your own fate. That's what this couple had done. 
the Holy Spirit revealed to them. How do we know that he revealed? Because Peter talks about it. He says the Holy Spirit, not only did the Holy Spirit reveal it to them, it went to the next level. The Holy Spirit let a spiritual man know what they did in their heart. That's what the Bible says, Matthew 18. If you won't receive when you come to alone and get the thing worked out alone, the Holy Spirit reveals it to you. The Bible tells us that he's going to come with someone else. So the Holy Spirit will bring somebody else in your life and say, and sometimes here's the thing, thank God when it's not one-on-one and sometimes it happens in a service. Sometimes it happens a brother or sister in Christ comes and says, are you struggling with something? Or I've noticed this or I, something's not right in your life. And they'll come and say, hey, we need to, is, there some, is everything okay? And they want things, to, they want to help you. Spiritual people, what are we supposed to do? Restore. Restore people, right? Restoration, that's what we're called to as Christians. But sin confronted should be repentant. In other words, what I'm saying to you this morning is if, if God brings something to your heart or mind that's sinful in your life, tell God the truth about what it is. Don't lie to him. Don't say, oh, that's okay. Well, somebody, here's what some people do. Well, so-and-so did this to me, and that's why it's okay. Well, this happened, that's this happened. Well, you know, and we start to make excuses for what God confronts us with. And we try to pretend like it, are you, are you okay this morning? I'm just trying to help you this morning. This is the passage of Scripture, and, and I want you to see this. He's, you know, he brings it to us, and sometimes we try to make excuses about it. We try to throw it off. Listen, you say, why, why are you saying that? Because this is what happens sometimes. I do it, you do it. Because God reveals it to us, and we don't do anything about it. How long does it have to fester before it starts to really destroy I don't know, how long do you want to have cancer present in your life? How, how, how long do you want to play with something that's going to destroy you? You know, it's a parasite, it's destructive, it's a cancer, sin, and I don't know about you, but I want it out. But sometimes my body says, oh, it's, it's okay. You can beat it. You can beat it. Not me, it won't happen to me. You, say, you hear people say that all the time. It won't happen to me. I never thought, and then you hear people when the destructive pattern happens in their life. I never thought that happened, would happen to me. I never believed, I never thought, I never, listen, I've heard it so many times. It's always in regret, wishing they would have gotten things right before it had its destructive pattern. Listen, it destroys, husbands and wives, sin will destroy your marriage. Family, sin will destroy your family. It will tear you apart. It will destroy because it first rends you from your walk and fellowship relationship with God, and then it will rend you from every other healthy relationship that's good in your life. You know what it'll do? It'll cause you to be able to be devoured. It kills every... You know what you'll see? I talked about this in Sunday school this morning. What you'll see is, is sin and the devil, what he wants to do, is he wants to ostracize you from everything that's protected. And you watch this person do this. When they won't deal with unconfessed sin, they'll start to blame church, blame the pastor, Blame every person that is protecting them in their life. And what is the devil trying to do? Take you out of protective walls and get you on the outside where you have no protection. So now you're alone and you're able to be devoured. And they'll eat away. Listen, you ever see a young person? What do they do? They blame their parents, right? Their parents aren't the problem, but they'll blame them. Anybody that's good in your life, he wants to take you away from. He wants to rend you from those people that are good in your life because they're protective for you in your life. And some people, they just believe that lie. They deceive themselves and they get in that situation and sin confronted should be repented. Number two, sin unrepented brings forth death. 
Sin unrepented brings forth death. You say, what does that mean? I'm going to die right away? Did Adam and Eve die right away? Nope. But did it bring forth death? Sin, when it is what? Finished, brings forth death. It doesn't always mean physical death, by the way, although it does ultimately mean that. Sometimes, come on, maybe you're here this morning and you're here and you feel dead inside. In here. You feel broken in here. You feel hurt in here. You feel pain. There's something in here that's dead in here. And you know it. And it's been that way for a while. And it's killing you. And by the way, you will backslide. You will fall away from God in a pew before you ever walk out of the church. Because a lot of people just sit, sit, and we hear, and we deceive ourselves, and we don't make things right, and God reveals things to us in our lives, and we don't respond, we don't change, we don't... Listen, repentance means change. That's what it means. It means that when I make a decision, when I ask God, when I agree with God, say, God, yes, I've done this wrong, yes, I've sinned, I'm not taking it and say, I have every intention to go back to it. I'm leaving and saying, God, keep me from it. I want to change. I'm going to change my habits. I'm going to change... It might, it might mean habit change. It might mean friend change. It might mean your whole world changes. But embrace change if you want change. What do they tell someone who's addicted to something, abusive, ab- uh, abusing themselves with, with some kind of thing that they're addicted to? What do they tell them? You've got to change your friends. You've got, you got to change your surroundings. You've got to change. What are they, why are they telling? It's psychology. But really, it's, it's psychology doesn't break the, the trend. Really, it's in your heart. The Bible says that's what's inside. That sin is going to defile you, and you've got to get it right. You've got to. You know what is awesome? Jesus is able to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He can make you clean. He can make you whole. You know what unbelief will tell you? He he he's not going to change my desires. I just can't change. I can't change. I'm I'm stuck this way, and and I'm nothing's going to fix me. I got too much baggage. I got too much hurt. I got too much bitterness. I've got too many problems in my life, and I just can't change. Listen. That's the devil. That's your flesh. They're lying to you. Don't believe that lie. There's nothing in your life that grace cannot touch. Nothing. There's no problem that God cannot heal. Nothing. You don't ever come away. Listen, none of us should ever be in a place where we say, well, this is who I am. This is who I'm always going to be. We say, I know that God is able to change me. He can do it from the inside out. He can bring healing to my life. He can help me. If not, what are we doing here this morning? We don't want to have just go through tradition and go through the service and, and not confront us with the Word of God and say, hey, this is what the Bible says. Listen, if you've got sin in your life, repent of it. If you don't, there's going to be destruction that comes. It's going to tear It may not happen tomorrow. It may not happen next week, but eventually it will bring forth death. We see a sinful defect. We see a sudden death. Number three, we see a sanctified definition. A sanctified definition. Look at verse number 11. And great fear came upon all the what? Come on, are you with me? Acts 5.11. And great fear came upon all the what? Church. It's the first time in the Bible the word church is used. First time, first place, ecclesia, called out assembly. First time. This is where God says, okay, I want to show you something. This is a group. This is a body. And it's a called out body. It's the first thing. It's a called out body. That's a sanctified definition of what the church is. What does God have called us out of? He's called us out of what? Darkness into his marvelous light. 
And then he said, what fellowship has light with darkness? He says, you can't, you can't live both ways. You can't live in the world and live in the, and live in the body of Christ. You, you can't have both ways. If you want to be in the light, you've got to walk in the light as he is in the light. And we'll have fellowship one with another. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, the Bible says, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's what the Bible tells us. So don't start with the deceptive pattern of, well, I have no sin. You may be talking about I have no outward sin that nobody knows, that anybody knows about. I'm talking about things that are in your heart and your mind that you only know about, that God's revealed to you. And he's saying to us, he's saying, hey, listen, you've got to be this called out body. He's telling the church, he's, he's, he's trying to define to us here why Ananias and Sapphira were cut off. Why an injury here had to be removed, almost like an amputation, where he said, this has to be cut off because this is going to kill the body, because this body is called out. This body is called out. He said, and such were some of you, but now you are clean. You're not supposed to be what you were before. Maybe Ananias and Sapphira were deceitful before they were saved, and maybe they were unwilling to confess and forsake that. I don't know. But they had a problem with honesty. And listen, all of us on some level have a real problem with honesty. Honesty. Come on, are you with me? It's just, isn't it sometimes just hard to tell the truth? Honey, does this make me look fat? No. It's the dress. It's sometimes it's hard to tell the truth. Now, that was a joke, and I hope nobody, somebody, oh, I can't believe you said that. All right. Sometimes it's hard to tell the truth. Listen, you know, as a pastor, sometimes I find it hard to tell the truth. You know what's really hard? To get up behind a pulpit to a group of people and tell the truth. Not being afraid of anybody's face. Not being afraid of what anybody will think. Not being afraid of what anybody will say. Not being afraid of what people are going to do. Not be afraid whether people are going to stop... Listen, whether they're going to stop giving in the offering or whether they ever come through the church doors again or how we're going to pay the bills or how we're going to do this. or how, Listen, that's not what I'm here for. I'm here to tell the truth. And I've got to leave those results up to God. And the truth of the matter is, is I've got to trust that God can take care of this body here while I tell the truth and while you tell the truth and we come to be honest with each other. Because if we're just tiptoeing through everybody's feelings here this morning, we're going to have a real problem where we have a big group of people that are just dishonest. Being dishonest with one another, being dishonest with God, and being dishonest with themselves. And what kind of group of people is that? It's really the picture of what most people think church is, where a bunch of people come and pretend to be something they're not. They pretend, you know, Sunday morning when, they, when your neighbors see you leave is when they fi- find out that you're spiritual. They didn't know any other day of the week by how you treated them, how you talked, or what you did, or how you live, or or what, what they see in your life. They just see you go to church, or you put on your Sunday best, and they see you walk into church, but they don't know that you have a relationship with God. Come on, are you with me? That's what most people think church is. Church is where people go to pretend to be something that they're not. And then it becomes like a crutch, right? Oh, that's for where people that have nothing else. or They need Jesus because, because uh, they don't have anywhere else to go or any, anything else to do. That's not what this is about. 
It's where we're set apart. We're called out by God. We've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Listen, God sold us in the muck, in the mire of our sin, and he, he, he plucked us out of that. He sent his son Jesus, his only begotten son. He died on the cross for us. You know how much God hates sin? Look at the cross. That's how much God hates sin. His only son was sacrificed on a cross for sin. That's how much God hates sin. And in the same picture, you can figure out how much God loves you. You can see how much God hates sin, but in the same picture, you see how much God loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Why was Jesus sent into the world? That the world through him could be saved. He made a way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father but by me. Jesus made a way for us to have redemption. Listen, that's the truth. And I'm not here, listen, we're not here today to wow you or to perform for you or to say, hey, this is, you know, we're, we're going to do this. We have, oh, good church, great service, pastor. What did God do in your heart and what are you going to do about it? Change needs to take place in all of our lives. And that's where health and growth comes from in the body. When all of us are willing to be confronted with what we are. Come on. Did you look in the mirror this morning? Did you tell the mirror that it was wrong? That that's not what you look like? The mirror's at the other store. I look so much better. I didn't look like this. I don't look like this. And people look at their pictures and, come on, life doesn't have a filter that you can change it, you know? Put the nice filter on that you like, the different kind of lighting and shadows and shades and contrasts. Life is real and raw. And, you know, people don't like being lied to. They want the truth. But here's the thing. Some people, they don't really want the truth. Some people rather put their head in the sand and not really know what the truth is. Listen, the truth is you and I are sinners We needed a Savior. His name was Jesus, and he died on the cross so that we could have redemption. And get this. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what your background is. I don't care how you're dressed today. I don't care what your religious thing. I don't, none of that stuff matters. What matters is how do you see yourself in the mirror of God's word, and what are you going to do about it? Because Jesus made a way for you to have real life change and a relationship with him. And get get this, it'll continue after you walk out the door. It doesn't just, while you're here in church, Jesus is with you. He takes up residence in your life. He lives, he resides in you. He changes the way you look at everything. He makes you dissatisfied with the things that are wrong in your life. And he gives you a satisfaction about things. He makes you hunger and thirst after things that are good and righteous. He doesn't make you a goody two-shoe. He doesn't make you a hypocrite. And he doesn't make you self-righteous. Those are things we make ourselves. God shows us who we are and makes, shows us a way to have real change in our life. A sanctified definition of the church, a called out body, and then look at this, verse number 11, and great what? Fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. It was a God-fearing body. It was a God-fearing body. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. Wisdom. You mean we're supposed to have a fear of God? If you have a healthy fear of God, it'll keep you from sin. It'll keep you from making the wrong decisions. Why did God allow those people in the church to see that? 
Not, not so they could say, oh, look how bad they were, but they would check themselves. Come on, how would you have responded? I, I, I always knew they were like that. You know, I just had this feeling about them. Told you so. Some people, they don't get the message. The message is, check yourself. Check yourself. Take heed to yourself, lest you fall. That was the me- and by the way, they got the message loud and clear. The church said, God still doesn't like sin. God doesn't wink at it. God's not okay with it. God's, grace doesn't mean, listen, grace does not mean, this is what I think some people are saying grace means. Grace doesn't mean God just says, live your life how you want to live your life. That is not grace. Grace is God saying, I love you enough to show you the right way to live your life. And I'm going to love you all the way through it. And you're going to make mistakes, and you're going to fall, but I'm going to keep you from falling. I'm going to pick you up, and I'm going to help you, and I'm going to bring you along the way, and I'm going to lead you, and I'm going to guide you, and it's going to be, it's going to be rough, and it's going to be difficult, and it's not going to be easy. But the Christian life is a satisfying life. And along the way, embrace change, because if we're living a right kind of life, a lot of change needs to happen in a lot of ways, in all of our lives. And get this, none of us have arrived today, none of us. We're all in the same condition, self-included. I read the same scripture you did today. I'm listening to the message just like you are. I'm examining myself. I'm not looking at you. I'm not thinking about, listen, I'm thinking about me. I hope you know that this morning. I'm not thinking about you. I need to change. You need to change. But I know what God's confronted me with. Are you clear on what he's confronted you with? And if he's made no confrontation to you, I'd start to say, is he here? Do I have him? Have I made a decision to trust Christ myself? Listen, it's not a terrible thing being a Christian. It's a wonderful thing. It's an awesome thing. It's a satisfying thing. It's a securing thing. And some people, listen, when God shows you, just say the truth. Say what God wants you to say. Listen, remember Adam in the garden? God came down and he said, Adam, where are you? Where are you? Now, did God know where he was? Did he know what he did? Did he know why he was there? But he still asked the question, didn't he? Where are you? God asked us the same question. Where are you? He knows where you are. He knows what you've done. But he wants you to come to him. He wants you to come this morning. Get this, he showed up so that you would. Where two or three are gathered together in his name there, he's in the midst. I believe he's here this morning. I believe his word has been given. I believe he wants us to respond. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, You can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.